Hey guys, quick disclaimer on this episode. Uh, we had some audio issues and you're going to get about 40 minutes of uh, us talking before the finale. This is about halfway through the JTAC class after day one. And the last half is going to be a one-on-one -on -one with Quinn and myself after the finale. And he's going to give some impressions of what he was doing going into the finale, uh, what he thought about the JTAC class. But uh, we've got our audio equipment sorted out. We've got a lot of new equipment here. You'll probably notice the difference uh, in the audio quality whenever we pick back up. Uh, my voice especially, Quinn was on the phone. I had that hooked into uh, our new mixer. So um, everything from here on out should be a lot more clear, a lot less background noise, and uh, we'll be able to get things out a lot more quickly than what this one has come out. So I appreciate you guys sticking with us and hope you enjoy it. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the JTEC Precision Rifle Podcast. I'm Clay Blackett, along with Justin Watts, Kate Street, and Austin Orgain. Uh, this evening, we've also got one of the best up-and-coming shooters in the country, Quinn Rogers. How's it going, Quinn? Oh, pretty good, guys. Glad to be here. Uh, while we got him here, we want to do a, a podcast from one of our students' perspectives. Uh, we can talk about how we look at things all day long, but uh, you never know what other people are seeing looking in. So, um, you know, give us a little bit of an idea about why you wanted to come to a class, what you're after, things like that. Yeah, so, uh, man, I, I kind of consider myself to be a, a fairly high-level shooter. Obviously not on y'all's guys' level, but uh, definitely pretty competitive. Um, man, I've just been kind of struggling to break over into that two-day match room, and uh, that's really why I come to Tate. So if anybody kind of knows Tate... Man, my name's always been kind of thrown around with him. We've been buddies for a long time. He kind of got me into the sport. Um, I've always shot with Tate. Um, I've not really shot with the rest, the other three of y'all. And so I kind of wanted to take the class and uh, kind of get y'all's perspective on how y'all do things. Um, and not just Tate's, you know. Everybody's, you know, I think I can take from Tate. I can take from Austin. I can take from Clay. I can take from Justin and put it all together and, and get that two-day match win that I've been trying to. So You've obviously been close. I think the last two matches you shot were tied for second and then second outright was not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so you said you've uh, known Tate for quite a while. How did you get to know Tate in the first place? Man, we uh, I actually we went to the same high school. Tate's quite a bit older than me. Um, Easy. <laughs> Easy. So, uh, man, we, we kind of met up after high school. Actually, we really didn't know anybody, know each other in high school. Um, I got big into coyote contests, and he did too. And, uh, man, I, we'd, we'd show up at weigh-ins, and, he'd you know, we knew each other, so we'd ask, you know, how your day went. And uh, he would, he'd come in, and he'd, sh he'd see four or five coyotes, and shoot four or five codes. He was 100%. Mm -hmm. And I would see 18 and roll in with <laughs> we'd, six. We'd tie or he'd beat him by one or two. Yeah, we'd always tie or I'd beat him by one or two at the coyote contest. And and what well, I sit there and think, I was like, man, he's he can shoot. You know, he's he's not missing anything. And so he's we... He's a really good liar. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, you know, we kind of just clicked. We're like, man, you know, you know how to shoot. I know how to call in the coyotes, you know. And then it kind of went from there. And and we, we've been pretty dominant force in Oklahoma as far as the coyote contests go. They, they pay some really good money. And 
So he got me into that's that's what started me right there was coyote hunting contests. I wanted to not miss coyotes because I didn't want to miss coyotes. So I imagine a lot of people are that same way. They they start doing this because they just want to stop missing deer, elk, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah it, it's amazing the amount of people you talk to that just want to extend their range even to three and four hundred yards. I just want to be able to kill a deer across the wheat field at four hundred yards, or, or, or even two and three hundred. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember that. talking to Quinn and he had an AR with a red dot sight and it was coming loose or losing zero or something, and they were missing coyotes like in close, and. I knew he, you know, had. I mean, I just knew he could probably shoot. He just didn't have the gear, and you know, didn't have the knowledge, and didn't just didn't know. You know, it doesn't hurt to start out, start out shooting with a guy like Tay Streeter as your, (laughs) as your buddy training partner. You know, that's been a big, uh, that's been a big push for me. Is uh, and and they they kind of hit on that before. Is uh, man, find find you a mentor, Um, find you find you someone to chase, find you someone better than you and uh and and get after it um i can recall the first time i ever went and shot with tate um that we went over he had a pipeline right away set up with some targets he had a 65 284 he asked me he said man what's the farthest you've ever shot i said man 200 yards he said we're about to shoot 600 and i thought man there ain't no way <laughs> ain't no way I'm gonna <laughs> so i laid down there and he dials everything in the scope and I hit that 600-yard target on the first shot. Man, it was over after that. You were never getting that money back. I was, I was, hooked, never, hooked. I was never going back. You hooked. You know something funny that I had a guy that came out to the range, just like last year, I think, and uh, he had called me on the phone, and he said that, you know, he was getting a rifle together, and he'd spent like five years, you know, because he didn't make a whole lot of money, but he spent like five years uh, – getting pieces and parts and stuff and he finally got him a rifle together and scope and his goal like he wanted to shoot a thousand yards that was his goal and he had on his bucket list he was an older gentleman and uh he spent like five years putting this thing together and he finally gets out to the range and he's like man you think you could uh you help me get out to a thousand yards and i was like yeah man and of course to me it was like now look at the box see what the fact what the speed was on the box and i just like yeah that's about what i think it is and i dialed it and shot it was a little off on the wind dial a little more wind and then hit the target i'm like yeah man there it is dude and he lays down and he pulls the trigger and first round impact at a thousand for him and then i was like impact and then he kind of sits there for a second and he's like that was it like, I mean, like five he five thought, years. He thought something magical. He thought something ma- like he thought we were gonna struggle all day. The clouds and, were gonna open yeah, up. Yeah, the rainbows and unicorns were coming out of the target when he hit it or something. And it was just like, it was such like, it, it was it was kind of awesome and then sad at the same time because this dude was just like super happy and super sad that he waited five years for the first round impact of a thousand. I think a lot of people look at stuff very similar to that. Think that a thousand yards are just unattainable. Yeah. Uh, I took my father-in-law. He'd never shot past 100 yards, if I was guessing. And uh, went, went out to 1350. And whenever you've got somebody there telling you what to do, you know what your elevation windage is, 10 minutes and you're going to have most people hitting 1,000 yards. And people have no concept of when you're with somebody that knows what they're doing, how simple it could be. It's when you get out on your, out on your own shooting, that's, that's when it gets tough. Yeah. It, it's crazy to me the amount of people that just don't understand that you can shoot that far with small calibers. They're like, are they like? Yeah, you got to be they, shooting they, at three thirty-eight. Oh, they got, be they, they'll ask you every time, what, "What's your furthest shot? How far do you shoot?" And, you know, I don't know. Some matches will go out to thirteen, fourteen hundred, or something like that. And they're like, "Dang, you, what do you shoot at three thirty-eight?" This and that. I'm like, 
nah, man, just a small six millimeter. They're like, like a, like a Creedmoor or something. I was like, well, yeah, sometimes, but usually smaller than that. Even they're like, what? How did uh, the one even go that far? I like to. I like and then to, I like to break out the story of where I was in Wyoming at the ELR match and took a 223 out to 1818 yards, and they're like, "You can't shoot that far at the 223." I'm like, I did. I like to. I like to go to like gun shops and especially Atwoods. Atwoods the best. And I go and troll <laughs> troll the guy behind the counter. Like they, they, we were there a while back with my buddy Michael, and he ended up having to walk off because he couldn't he couldn't hold himself. And I, you know, I keep a straight face the whole time. I'd be a terrible partner for that. I know Mike had to walk off, but um, we um, we went to Atwoods and they had a uh, they had an RPR in uh, 308, and then they had an uh, an M1A in a uh, Archangel stock or something, and it was in a 65 Creedmoor. And uh, like just walk up to the counter, the guy and I was like, "Hey man, what is that? Is that a 50 cal?" And he's like. No man, that's a uh, it's a 308, and I was pointing at the RPR, and I said, man, that looks like a freaking sniper's gun, and he's like, yeah man, that's a I said, is that three, is that a long range caliber? I was like, I heard that's a long range caliber, and he's like, oh yeah, that's pretty solid. I was like, I heard that's like the best there is, and he's like, man, he's like this right here, that's an even better one, and, and he pointed at the M1A, and and I said, is that a 50 cal? And he's like, no man, that's a that's a 65 Creedmoor, and I was like, 65 Creedmoor. What is that? And he's like, man, that's that's like the end all be all of long range calibers. And I was like, dude, can you shoot out 500 yards with that thing? And he goes, dude, you can shoot out further than that, like long ways. And I was like, do you think you can hit a thousand with that? And he's like, oh yeah, guaranteed. And then it had those little bushnells, or I'm sorry, they were burst scopes behind the counter. I was like, that right there, is that a that the go to scope? And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, we set you up, man. I was like, all right, man. I said, like, how much is that thing? And it was like. $2,200. I like, got $2,200. I was like, man, that's out of, out of my league right there. But I said, man, that's one you day. You got anything that can shoot 400 yards? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I won't be looking at that savage axis right there. That's what I want. You're a terrible person. Uh, it's super fun, though, man. Like, like if you go, because, like, no, those people don't know who you are, you know, and you can go and you can have fun with them. <laughs> it's fun to me. I like to go. I, I go to Area State Army all the time and go mess with the guys at the counter, and Josh will come out from the back and he'll be like, "Dude, stop messing with my guys, man! <laughs> stop trolling my guys." Well, um, so for those of you guys that don't know, um, we've mentioned Tate a couple times here, talked about him a little bit on the last episode, but uh, he's the owner of Impact Precision Shooter, uh, Impact Precision Shooting, sorry, and uh, he's the 2019 NRL uh, Finale and Season Champion. Um, Big Kyle and Arnold, like Quinn said, um, and again, we have a lot of people that reach out to us and want to get into the sport just to get better at hunting, so if you had, you know, <clears throat> some tips for somebody getting into it just to help them with their hunting game, what would you point them to? How would you help them? Man, the number one thing, well, guys that don't know, don't know, and they're kind of scared of the unknown, and they think there's some kind of magic to it. Um you know, a lot of guys want to buy a $1,000 rifle on a $200 scope. Um, you know, with just a little bit of knowledge, I'm not saying you can't get it done with a $2 scope, but I'd rather have a $1,000 scope and a $200 rifle almost any day. Absolutely. Um, you know, to a certain point, as far as hunting goes. I feel, I feel like if you've got a $1,000 rifle and a $200 scope, you got a $200 setup. If you got a $200 rifle and a $1,000 scope, you kind of got something you can work with. Right. But, man, you know... What people don't realize, it's really plug and play out to like 600 yards. I mean, you got to get steady and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, shooting the PRS and NRL and stuff like that that we do, we learn, you know, we shoot off a lot of props. We learn how to get steady in, in weird positions that 
you know, it doesn't seem like you would use them in hunting and you wouldn't, but they still teach you the same basics, you know, stuff you need to learn, shoot off anything you'll encounter in the field and, you know, hit, hit that game at longer ranges. But man, it's really, it's just a lot easier than a lot of people think to extend that range out, you know, just a little bit of knowledge. You don't have to be a, you know, rocket scientist or, you know, a top notch athlete or, or trigger puller to get, you know, to extend that range to four to 600 yards. You just need a good range finder and a good repeatable setup um, to get started. And it, it always, it always goes, you know, further than that. Once you get into it, you want to get a little bit better set up and a little bit better set up and you kind of get the bug. But um, the number one thing I think is, you know, we, we keep hitting on it, but, you know, ask somebody, ask somebody that knows what they're doing, you know, and get some pointers and not, not get steered in the wrong direction, which I know that can be hard to weed out, but. I was about to ask you how you how you weed out from someone who knows what they're doing versus someone who talks like they know what they're doing. Yeah, don't read on the internet. Yeah, I tell people sure. all the time. There's, I tell people stay a, off the internet. There's a lot of false information on the it's internet. Like like and don't and I tell the internet. Right. Yeah, right. And I tell people all the time that come to the range. Like I get I, I get you know hundreds of people a month that come to the range, and I tell them like, man, look if, if you want to get into this, especially the long range stuff. And you want to buy something or get a setup? Like, don't go talk to the guy at your local gun shop, right? Because that guy's a salesman and he probably doesn't know what he's talking about. He's gonna to try to sell you on something. He doesn't care about you. Come ask me. I'll give you information. I don't sell products, okay? So I'll point you. You just tell me what you want to spend, and I'll point you in the right direction. Like, you know, obviously, you know, if they had an unlimited budget, I would point them in the same direction that we go in, right? The same products we use. But if they don't have that, I'll point them in the direction of something that, that will get the job done for the budget that they have and not going to sell them on something just because I want to make a profit off of something because I don't sell products. So on, on budget something, um, we're going to point something. Let's say they got 1500 bucks to work with. 1500 bucks to work with. Um, and they wanted to get into a uh, precision rifle. I would say that they probably should buy a... A, um, I would say maybe a Burris uh, um, XTR uh, two. And are you saying fifteen hundred for the whole setup? The whole setup. For the whole setup, I, mean, I would say get an XTR two and a rifle. Yeah, that, you can. Right? Yeah, you can. You can get a uh, a Remington seven hundred six five Creedmoor and a Burris XTR two. You're gonna go over a little bit on your like bipod and ring stuff like that, but for the rifle and scope. You can get that done for that price. So having something like that, are they going to be realistically able to engage a deer, elk, whatever, you know, five, 600 yards? Or 100%. Be- Absolutely. Another thing that people don't know is box ammo is perfectly fine out to that far. Yeah. Um, I mean, my 6.5 PRC, I wouldn't even dream of loading ammo for it because it shoots so good. Especially with the ammo selection that we have now. I mean, yeah, ammo is a huge difference good quality ammo at a reasonable price for these rifles and you're talking about newer cartridge designs that are more inherently accurate anyway so like the 6.5 prc the creedmoors where you can go out and you can buy reasonably priced factory ammo and do just fine to six or seven hundred yards I shot the 2018 and almost most of the 2019 season was shooting Hornady factory ammo and didn't place outside the top 10. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the factory ammo has made a huge difference. I mean, a huge upgrade over the past few years. 
Well, that's that's true. Um, there are definitely some some big upgrades in in that area of the industry, but uh, um, pretty sure that most people at this table are going to be able to you know go shoot upside down and still and still compete. So I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but but it doesn't change the fact that the ammo it shoots. No, it absolutely does. Right. It does. Um, if we're comfortable ammo, taking it out, then should be good. That ammo will outshoot ninety five plus percent of people to get their hands on it. Agreed. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> you guys said that you do uh, quite a few Kyle con- contests together, and you're obviously kind of trash talkers. So, um, <laughs> you're out on a, uh, a hunt competition, money's on the line, somebody misses a Kyle, what happens? It doesn't happen very often. It don't happen anymore. It doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't. Um, so, we I probably, like last year, man, we killed them. Um, probably the we got... The biggest hunt in the state, which we call it McLeod, the, the weigh-ins are in a little town called McLeod, Oklahoma. Um, we called in 17 or 18. That 17. Day. 17, and we put bullets and dropped 15 coyotes. We actually had a 16th one that we would have – we actually so we actually shot a five, whatever that means. We shot five of them. We started hooping and hollering, high five. Five on one stand? Five. We had, yeah, five yeah. on one stand. And they all just drop like rocks. And we're about, I don't know, 1,200 yards from the truck. We ended up going a lot further than when we normally do. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get happy. And, uh, man, we dropped. So so basically, we get these. There were there were three three original coyotes. Three original. Three original coyotes. And. So do you know they were there? What do you mean three original we coyotes? We've seen them. We've so, seen them. Yeah. Three original coyotes when we first saw them. And. There's a little hay ring right in front of us, and Quinn and I have what I'd call two rookies. They're not rookies to hunting, but from long-range shooting. I think we're like 380, is that right? 386, something like that. So what we do is I take one of the rooks, he takes the other rook, and we decide they're they're on the left side, we're on the right side. I don't remember which one, who was with us. Yeah, we split the hay ring. I had Sonny on my side, right? Yeah, I had Cole. So we decided we're going to count to three, shoot on four. They're going to shoot the left one. Um, we're going to shoot the right one and then we're going to get back on the center one. That way we for sure got two. So we count to three, shoot on four, boom, drop our two. Immediately the other one just kind of looks around like what's happening. Shoot it. We kind of jump up. Two more come right. There's a little, like a little draw you couldn't even hide a four-wheeler in in front of us. Like rolling grass. It's like a big hay pasture. Two Kyles just come walking out of this. Like what in the heck just happened here? And, uh, we dropped both those. It took a couple shots. One of them was on the move. So we have five coyotes down in like a matter of 10 seconds after we started yeah. shooting. And boy, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, hooping and hollering. I put us at 15, and we still had an hour and a half of daylight or something like that, hour or something like that. So, and, and that hunt's pretty big. It usually takes about 15 points, no matter how you get there, like 11 dogs, two cats, something like that, to get there. And at that point, we were 15 for 16. We caught a triple in and never got a bullet in the other one, but it was one of those deals where you, you shot on two and the other one took off running kind of deal. Um, that bu- that coyote did did get bullets thrown at it, but it was kind of a low percentage running off shot. So anyway, I take off, said, I'm going to go get the truck. I get back, and they're like, man, we only got four. I'm like, what? And the other one had gotten up. We probably could have found it because you could literally drive the truck and follow a blood trail across this hay pasture. I mean, it's like Bermuda, like eight inches tall for like – 
600 yards to the, to the edge of the Bermuda, and then it got to, like, blue stem. And wasn't much down there. I guarantee you – so, we had to fight that game. We had another money spot where we usually kill at least one. And, I mean, we haven't killed three or four yet, but it's like a spot where, like, we're just bound about to kill three or four. So, we're like, man, do we spend time to find this coyote or do we go, you know, to the other spot and get our solid one because it was we're getting re- pretty dark. We, yeah, we was running out of daylight. We were running way out of daylight at this point. So we decided, man, let's just go kill another one because we drove far enough. It's like, man, it made it this far or whatever. I, I, that coyote's dead. There's no way it was, but we took the chance, went and called in another one and gave us our 15. But we got we got bullets in 16 out of the 17, and the other one was kind of a low percentage deal. So, um, you know, knocking down that many coyotes in one day, uh, you say you guys, you know, rarely miss a coyote. Uh, pretty much doesn't happen uh, other than that, that running shot, which obviously is, is going to be tough. What was your closer shot? What was your furthest shot? You know, what's your average shot that day? We actually s- averaged it. Yeah, I want to say maybe no closer than 150. And it's probably right. I headshot two of them at 400 yards. Um, no. and on I, purpose, or that's just where the bullet went? That's down? the only shot I had. Sure. Uh, yeah, so. That's um, a good shot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but, man, that's kind of what, like, I mean, <clears throat> I've never milled a coyote's head, but it's, I mean, decently, I mean, when you're shooting, you know, the the rigs that we do, I mean, it's not, it's honestly not a hard shot at 400. I mean, I feel like we all run rigs capable of shooting. I bet that's six inches wide. I mean, it ain't that yeah, wide. Yeah, so we're all shooting Still rigs capable three of. Three-tenths or so wide, yeah. Yeah, three-tenths yeah. or so wide. Ain't and that, I, and right. I was prone for while, all them shots. While he was head-shooting coyotes, I was at the truck keeping horses from biting my pants. <laughs> Weren't they wild horses? Yeah, wild horse rigs. Yeah, they were wild horses. And, man, we parked my truck and them dang horses. And I've already had paint eaten off my truck before uh, by horses. Uh, I, I said, I you boys go coyotes. hunt them coyotes. I'm going to just stay right here with my truck. So I was out there. I stand in the back of the truck just sitting up there. Eating. I think I was yeah. eating a sandwich. I, I want to say maybe 450 or 500 was a far. I want to say our average was three. I think our average was 309, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and the reason being, uh, you know, we there's been a couple of times people are like, there's no way you kill this many coyotes. And, you know, most of the people that say that just are the people that have no idea no you can shoot that far. Right. Yeah, like, like we've had a rule. Like when we say missing coyotes, I mean, we've we've let some coyotes get away. I can think of one that burns me. It came in. I think it would have been a triple, and it stopped right between <laughs> or right behind like a one and a half inch sapling. Like I don't know what you'd call this little scrub brush, but my dumb self. I, he wasn't in any bind. I shot that sucker and just smoked that thing, you know, and it cost us a cow. I mean, it wasn't very far at all, but, you know, you do you do stuff that you – I mean, it, it, it's not easy to hit a cow coming in, you know, but um, we don't let very many get away. We kind of got a rule. If they, if they step inside of 300 yards and they stop, they're getting a bullet because yeah, you never know if that sucker's going to stop again. Exactly yeah, I, I would I would rather – I'd rather shoot them at 300 than let them yeah. come on in and booger – and yeah. then you're shooting at a coyote run. Well, usually, well, usually at that distance, they feel pretty safe, and they'll kind of st- stop for a second. Well, how many they, times do you man, get them coming in and they never stop? So then you wolf out of nothing, then you're taking a running shot. I'd rather take a 300-yard stand steel shot than a trotting or a running shot. I mean, that happened to us just yesterday. We saw that one come in from the bottom, and then he popped up over a dam, didn't see him again. 20 yards. And he hit the call and bailed. I mean, there was yeah. no stopping him. Yeah. But I so, promise you, though, if you miss one, Tate Streeter ain't going to let you live it down. <laughs> nope. Especially if you rusted. Uh, so, I always made fun. He uh, he'd get on to me. So like, either 
<laughs> you'd always be, you'd tell me, man, you need to slow them coyotes down. Let's yeah. Come, I, I don't come so, in too fast. <laughs> yeah, so the first time uh, I met him, I can't remember if we tied or they beat us by one. We tied at one. Did we tie at Moss? I know we got second, but I don't remember if we tied. No, nah, because you must have beat us by one because we would have never lost the way off. But anyways, first time I saw him, he was like, how many did y'all call in? I don't remember if, I don't remember if we killed five and saw six or four and saw five. Anyway, he killed one more than us. And I was like, how many did you see? He was like, man, we moved 18 or 19. And I was like, what in the heck, you know? He's like, man, them things just stop over there and sit back and look on you at like 400 yards. And, you know, we can't shoot that far. And I'm like, you just sit. And he's like, yeah, they just sit over there and watch us. I'm like, golly. So, you know, we're home, going home with James. We're like, yeah, man, I wish our coyotes would just sit over there at 400 yards, you know? But anyway, obviously he got the gear done, and and now we're pretty confident to make those shots. I made a shot with you at seventeen. I don't remember how far our longest, our longest shot was last year, but we made several over four hundred. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like, I'll kind of dive into my first. Um, Tate was obviously shooting matches. I think when we first got to cow hunt together, he built me a six XC for my coyote rig and uh he told he give me some bullets give me some brass kind of hooked me up with everything and man i went home and bought a hornady single stage press loaded some bullets and these suckers went and i mean sub quarter inch you bought an nxs yep i bought a night force nxs man i thought i was had a mcmillan thumb hole stock yeah, I thought I was uptown, and uh, and I was for for the common guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like I I was shooting so sub. I mean, before the before the XC, I was shooting AR-15s with cheap Cabela's or Walmart scopes, and so I went after that. Like I I I sold a couple guns. I actually bought a twenty-two two fifty Remington seven hundred for you to build the six XC on. And uh, I'd planned on shooting matches back then and uh, just never did get into it. Because he told me when, when that 6XC would be perfect for the matches. And uh, so it's probably two or three years of coyote hunting. And uh, I always I was kind of the weakest link on our team. It no, was he wasn't the weakest link, but he didn't have any confidence. And he didn't. He was afraid. I, I didn't ever make this clear, but... I think he was afraid to shoot because every time he shot, he dropped something. I mean, I don't ever remember you missing, really. I mean, but he would call, and he'd have a gun up, and it'd be like one of them deals. Like, so we're confident. If that coyote stops, like, I'm not Justin Watts over here. I'm not going to shoot as minute I take one <laughs> breath or anything. But if that coyote stops and there's not two, boom, he's dead. Because you never know if he's going to stop again and give you that shot. Like, if you got a 100% shot, take the shot. That's what I'm saying. Well, well Clay, we've Clay, always, Clay obviously proven the last couple times it wasn't 100% shot you took. It was very we're, we're talking. We're shot. talking about – and I know we're talking about thermals here, and I know you can shoot, but – Anyway, we're yeah. talking about thermals. Yeah. I have, I have like been a, with you in daytime. I have 100 percent in the daytime. Okay, right. so all right, that's not. Well, I Clay just exaggerated. I do give him a chance to stop. <laughs> I'm just saying, Clay, Clay will Sometimes. overcompensate. I mean, he he wants to wait 15 minutes to see if they call in their cousin Vinny and all that to come in. <laughs> I don't wait. Like if that sucker stops, he's dead. Here's the deal. I feel like I earned something. If I call in the coyote, I spot the coyote. I stop the coyote and you smoke him. I'm probably gonna have an attitude about it. So, so that's one thing. You know, we we could never break. Gave the you a shot number. yesterday, and you had to take a running shot. Smoked it though. You did smoke it, 
But I should have shot that sucker shot 15 them. yards because you hesitated again. Yeah, but we were doing that for camera. That's a little different. Oh. All right. What? Oh, we are just talking about, you know, Justin wanting to shoot them. Um, when we first started going, you know, we'd kill six or eight. And, like, man, these guys got to be cheating killing 12 and 15. You know, and you got to have land with coyotes. You just mm-hmm. have to. And it can't be molested. It's got to be, you know, pretty virgin ground. Um, but anyway, we'd take that first shot on that one. And then over the years, we really don't even have to talk anymore. We just know what's going to go down. we got a couple rules. We talk out, and, you know, just from having two coyotes come in, like, man, we should have done this. Next time this happens, done this. Now we don't even really talk about what we do. We just do it. Yeah. And, so you know, we drag two coyotes back to the time. truck a lot more. Yeah. We got to post a video of mine and Clay's tandem <laughs> shot yesterday. It was it's pretty wicked. It was five sixty, five thirty, five thirty something, five thirty. Yeah, yeah And it was like we counted we counted down a shot, and then on camera there was actually two shots, but on on the camera and the sound it sounds like one shot and the coyote drops, and it but it was actually two shots. It was it was pretty cool. Now there's probably some people out there. So you that can't would... prove that both of you hit it. So which one of you hit it? Obviously, I hit it. Both of us hit it. <laughs> yeah, so sounds like to me like Clay hit it and Justin didn't. Um, there's probably a Austin. lot of people that would uh, that would question shots like that because you know there's a cow two, three, four yards away from it. I mean, standing right there, but as confident as we are in what we can do with a the rifle, there's really just no question that it's not going to go exactly where we're pointing, even 500 something yards. It's a it's a no brainer. Um, we're not missing a coyote yeah, at 5:30. We, we so. talk a lot about how if we're on our belly, there's really not an environmental condition that makes us miss that shot it's just it, it it feels pretty unmissable with what we have had it been a face shot like like he was talking about all ago you know shoot he had to shoot it in the head or whatever because it's all the shot he had you know that that's 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 if you but a broadside coyote at 5 30 like we're not missing that shot yeah, yeah. that's 100 percent right there um so um off season obviously we all do quite a bit of coyote hunting um it's it's my favorite thing to do. I kind of wish we could cancel for that the finale and and just go coyote hunting. There's a contest that weekend, but yeah, they need to move all these finales and stuff to not hunting season. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. Um, but uh, so <clears throat> you guys have obviously won quite a few. How many do you hunt a year? So I would say when we first started, we hunted a lot more than we do now. Um, what I would say from from January to February, every weekend, we was probably hunting a tournament. And we've gotten a couple of big ones in the state now that pay some pretty good money. And uh, we've kind of dialed back to where we're not hunting every weekend. And we're saving our ground up for the two or three big, big matches a year. So, yeah, for the first three, first two or three years, man, like I said, two two months Jan- like our deer season ends in december so we really can't get on a whole lot of our coyote ground until december is over with um so every weekend january february and i'd say the last two years we probably average six or seven something like that yeah i had a triple at our one of our coyote stands that we normally hunt and just chilling i mean they're hanging out in front of me the other day and I let him pass and I called Clay I was like man you don't know how much self control that took for me not to smoke them dogs but had it been a single coyote he probably would have died but being a triple I was like man I don't want to educate two coyotes you know because they were about 650 something or something. random how many solo triples have y'all killed solo 
Yeah. Well, I had a solo triple. Clay stole it from me. <laughs> just come out of nowhere that and shot my cut. Setting, you just were the only pulling the trigger. I mean, like solo, solo. It gets you doing everything. Oh no, I was just talking about. Well, yeah, that, I mean, well, it was, I was that about, you shoot a triple shoot in one stand. Um, one guy shoot. I got two. two I got a solo quad last year, and then um, I got a solo five piece, whatever you want to call that, last year. That was the biggest fluke. That, I, yeah, I can I can tell y'all one thing. We're gonna continue beating y'all because we don't care who shoots that coyote. That's what I'm saying. As long as we're dragging that circle back to the truck, it does not matter. My philosophy is that I don't care if Clay kill if we kill twenty coyotes and Clay kills twenty of them. I don't I don't care because we're gonna split that check. I can tell you this right now. I know Quinn one hundred percent. He's not gonna shoot unless it's hundred percent. There's no pulling a shot just because he wants a coyote. And I do not do the same thing. Or I don't, I don't do it either. Um, but, man, as long as we're dragging coyotes, you, if you're going to win a big match or, or contest, you have to drag coyotes back to the truck all day. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Ever stand. For sure. But uh, I would I mean, say I've probably seen – I don't know if I've ever killed a solo triple or not. I think I've probably seen Tate do several of them. Man, and that may be the case, but I don't even count them because I just – that was yeah. a whatever, but yeah. since we started doing this, I don't hunt that much by myself. I mean, we save our ground. Yeah, and, we always hunt. You know, amazing. we hunt all these mini tournaments, and you take your best stands, and you hit them. Man, you're going to have to take a contest calling class to get the secrets, but, you know, you kind of get better at it over the years um, and and know what you're doing. But you you got to drive, you got to drag the cows back to the truck all day. Yeah. That's no I matter was... who kills them. I like we had a good relationship in the beginning, and like I said, obviously I, Tate told me one day. He said, "Man, he said if you'd start shooting matches, he said you'd be better cow hunter, you know, cow killer." And that's what essentially, you know, kicked me over into this sport. Um, that was a high dollar education. That was a high dollar <laughs> education, but uh, man, we had a good relationship. So like I, I, had, I didn't care who killed the coat, just like he said. And I, I, I was pretty good. I, I could figure the coyotes out, and I was the call guy. I ran the call, and I remember several times Tate's like, shoot that dog, shoot that dog. And, and he had already killed five or six that day, and he's just wanting just me to shoot one. I just want to spread it out, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not trying to be a hog. And I'm like, man, you're, you're the – you've got a couple of PRS bullets sitting on your shelf. You shoot him, you know. I don't want to miss one. Like, I – I uh, yeah. At, at the, the end of the miss. day, at the end of the day, I was a hundred percent because, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't miss anything, and that's that's kind of where they gave know, it's me. Changed we we hunted that last tournament. We hunted. I had, at, by one o'clock, we had uh, two coats. Three. Uh, we had no. We, we had, had four. First, we had four coats, right? The same. The Cabela's hunt. Yeah. No, we had our two in our first two stands. And and then nothing until like one. Okay, well, Clay, Colin had shot one and Clay had shot one, and I had not shot a single coyote at one o'clock, and they were just ragging on me, like just you know ragging on me because I hadn't shot a single coyote. I hadn't seen a coyote like they had seen their coyotes, they shot them, and I hadn't seen anything, and so they were just like just beating me up over it. They hadn't shot a single coyote before we left that day. I killed four, the last four coyotes we seen that day, I killed them all. And then the next one, the shot that morning, I killed the first one that morning. And, like, we had, how many stands did we do before at one o'clock? The bunch. Enough to have more than two. Dude, it was bad. And then, like, literally, with, like, the last four stands, we'd called in four dogs. It was, uh, what we seen, like, 
a ridiculous amount of dogs. We did. We probably saw twenty five ish. But they just, like that. but just it's like that's that's where I say like when you guys have the the advantage on the ground. I don't mean like access to it. I mean like what you can see. Because um, like the stuff out there, you might see them at a thousand yards, and you don't see them again until they're thirty yards in front of you. They poke their head through, and they're instantly gone. You just you never have a shot of. What was that one? It was thirteen ten. Thirteen ten. He just hung out on that ridge. Something like that. Um, and. I mean, we'll take that shot if we have to. It's obviously not a high percentage shot, but uh, a lot of our stands are with us standing on a tripod because um, it's the only way to, to be able to see anything. Whereas, you know, the, the one time I hunted with you guys, maybe all your stuff isn't this way. Is, um, you hop a fence, you kind of lay on a pond dam or something, you got a you know prone shot with a pretty open field and you know, on a tree line. Um, and Tate's hunted out here, and we say it every time we go out here, these coyotes could literally come from anywhere. Um, laying down in that blue stem they can they're just invisible um mm-hmm. so you just don't know necessarily where to look you can get snuck up on no we had the ones that we tall grass. we were ha- we had them howling you got them howling back at us there was like five packs of coyotes that were howling all around us i mean 360 and we were kind of facing i mean mostly every direction but the one direction we weren't facing that's where the coyote came from i mean he snuck up on us quick and you know like Clay tried to paint around on him, and I mean, without shooting me in the face. I mean, he did his <laughs> best he could without hitting me. But man, so one thing about what you just said, and you know, Quinn's got to get some credit there because he puts boots on the ground the week of. I mean, he's out there hiking during lunch break and stuff like that. So he's he's looking no fresh side. He knows where the coyotes are. I mean, you know, he just knows where they're at. And you know, the wind doesn't always work out like the day you went. We did have it pretty easy, but. Work out like that, and we got to sneak around the backside and do something not ideal. But if we know Kyle's there, we're trying to figure out how to get them where we well, can shoot them. I don't remember who said it, but they probably said it the best. It said the best place to hunt coyotes are where they're at. Yep, yeah, that's for sure. You can't call coyotes, not there, man. So it just kind of clicked with me one day. Um, you know, I was like, man, we scout for deer, you know, we scout for a lot of the stuff we hunt, and I'm like, man, I want to take you serious. So, uh I just started treating it like I do deer hunting. What are you looking for when you're scouting? You know, hey, uh, you know how you won, how you uh, bought that NXS scope? You won that McAllister hunt, huh? Yeah, that's yeah. what you did. You called me. I remember. I, I don't remember where I was. I think I think I was actually at the hospital having my kid when you called me. That believe that or not? Yeah, seems like. But it. uh, seems anyway, like it. that was that. all all before impact even started. Yep, you're like, I'm gonna spend this money on a night force. <laughs> uh, but uh, man so uh i just probably the uh you know the a lot of my scouting was just physically seeing them um i i had a job to where i was driving through that country uh during the day that we hunted and uh i would physically see them and i would i would just keep a mental note or i would actually write it down sometimes i had onyx and uh I would, you know, just, you know, put markers every time I seen a coyote. And then uh, I would actually drive around at night and uh, howl. I was going to ask if you were out the night to see if you could I didn't know if he was going to give that up or not. (laughs) Well, there's there's a little little tidbit. I would actually. I've been on enough YouTube videos. Yeah, people. It's nothing like real secretive, but. uh, You know, it's one of them deals that, you know, people know about it, but you got to, you got to have to. Most put people the, don't want to put in that work. They just yeah, want to put be the work easy, in, show so, up. You know, they want kind of you know, I would do that. I would talk to the, you know, we, we hunted a couple big ranches, and I knew all the, the ranch hands, and I'd talk to them. And then 
Um, I would actually go in uh, the week of and make sure that we had spots to kill coyotes from. We we try to set prone as much as we can, and I would walk in there and try to, you know, pre-plan out spots to lay down. And then, you know, you'd be looking for coyote tracks as you was going in there and just sign like you would for deer. Um, we tried to hunt, man. Mace, I mean, you know, a, a deer is going to be in a creek bottom, typically. You're going to look for a deer in a draw or a bottom, and a coyote's the same way. You know, they're going to be down there in the creek bottom or you do anything different when you're trying to catch a cat or man so i'm not typically known for cats uh I, we've killed we've killed some cats uh during contests but that's not really my specialty um we just kind of look onto them so i know where some cat spots are and that's usually where we kill them at um i've not really you know i've not focused my attention to them so I can't really add nothing to that. Hey guys, this is Clay Blackader back with the JTAC Precision Rifle Podcast. Um, we're having to do a little bit of a breakup on the episode. We had some audio issues, which should be fixed now. We brought, bought a lot of new uh, equipment, so we're going to be doing podcasts a lot more regular, and they're going to be a lot higher quality. So um, we're just going to get back back to it. We're here with Quinn Rogers. I've got him on the phone. And Quinn, when we left off with you, we just finished talking about predator hunting. Uh, but now that we're a couple months months out from the finale, and you finished your JTAC class, the first episode you were halfway through it. Um, can you give us kind of some impressions that you got from the class? And don't feel like you got to sugarcoat something because you're on here with us. Just give us a breakdown of what you think you did or didn't get out of it, and um, kind of your thought process going into the finale. Yeah. So, uh, man, to kind of back up, um, I would say about October time frame, um, I really wasn't sitting where I'd like to coming into the finale and it come down to, uh, r- really deciding on whether to go to MPA match in Georgia or, uh, take a JTAC class. And so I kind of weighed my options and decided ultimately that the JTAC was going to be more beneficial to me than trying to improve my score. Um, so that's what I did. Um, so what place Man. were you in in October and you're looking at the MPA match? What place were you in? Uh, I want to say before the MPA match, I was high 30s. And then after the MPA match was over with, I think that was the last match of the year. Is that correct? Yes, I think so. Okay, so I, I want to say I, want, I come into the PRS finale mid-40s. Um, I tried to go back and look after it was all said and done and, and nailed down a good number, but uh, they had done, you know, changed all the scores. So I'm pretty sure it was, you know, mid-40s coming into the finale. So that, I mean, this being your, your rookie PRS season and all, um, even finishing mid-40s would be be a pretty pretty solid goal, and it's going to be better than virtually everybody does their first year. But um, seeing that you're sitting mid-40s, um, what are you thinking going into the finale? What are your goals there? Man, I knew I knew it was going to be tough. I mean, you know, everyone that's good, you know, you know, the top 150 shooters, you know, is there. Obviously, the top 50 um, are the ones that's going to be battling out for the, you know, the bullets and everything and the and the big prizes. And um, man, my goal was to you know win a top 10 bullet. I I knew that if I can come into the finale and put on a show and do good, 
that I would ultimately have a have a chance at it. I knew it was far fetched, just and and I didn't really know how the scores work. Being this my first year, um, I wasn't real too keen on on how the finale would would weigh out, and uh, so I, I knew it was a stretch, but um, you know that that was my goal was to to come into the finale. I wanted to be top five or better. Um, obviously, you know, I, I don't show up to a match to, you know, just place good. I, when I show up, I want to show up to win. And so, you know, I, I told myself if I could, if I could be top five or better at the finale, I'd have a chance. So that, that's something that I think a lot of people do is they, they go into a match thinking, I want to finish, you know, this place or, or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, I want to finish top 20. I want to finish top 10. That's, that's a great goal. But I think that one of the important things is to just worry um, about controlling what you can control and, and let everything else work out. Because, um, you know, obviously as good as you are, um, it's only a matter of time before you start winning two-day matches. Um, I'd be surprised if you don't win a couple of them next year. So, um, yeah. it, to me, I think if you go in with a mindset sometimes of, I want to finish at least this high, almost subconsciously, like if you see yourself sitting up there, you just kind of mentally relax. And some, some of those little points, you know, when you're nine for nine and you drop that 10th one and you just lose focus a little bit, I, th I tend to think that those kind of points slip out of your grasp. And that's, you know, what happens to, you know, taking you from a top finish to, you know, the fourth, fifth, you know, whatever it happens to be. But, um, yeah. I think everybody, yeah. you know, starts there. Uh, not even start there. I think a lot of people do that. They're almost their entire careers going into a match. Okay. This is where I want to finish. Um, so especially with, you know, that group, I mean, I wish I had finished the top five. It did not work out for me, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, if I'd have finished top five, I'd have been a whole lot, a lot happier at that match. But, um, it, it is a good thing to have on your mind. Um, I just think there's, you know, you can eke out a couple more points if you, you know, don't worry so much about where you finish, but just worry about controlling what you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've, I've kind of changed my thought process a little bit later on in the year. So, you know, I've, I've really tried to switch my focus on the process and not the outcome. I always would come into a match and, you know, would, would try to, you know, judge my success on where I placed that in the match and not, you know, like, all right, did I go through the whole match and not make a mental mistake? Or did I do this right the whole entire two days instead of, you know, I, I judge my success on where I placed and not how I performed personally. And there towards the end, I really changed that. I was really focused on how to get to the top versus, you know, the other way around. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the way to do it. So, um, so you were in squad five then? in the finale or, uh, or is that when it switched and they started doing the, the different, I think different squads? squad five was production. production. Um, um so, so yeah, I was in squad four, squad four. Okay. Squad four. So where, so what do you start on? Um, we started on the truck. There was three targets that I believe four. It was kind of like a little mini KYL rack. Uh, it was a big, going down to a smaller target, three of them, you had uh, three shots off the hood. You would go on top of the cab, another three shots, you know, shooting the same ones that I, I think about 450. Um, Clean that one and, and got a good start to the day right there. Yeah, that, that one did not go that well for me. That was one of my almost last stages of the match, and I just could not 
connect with that little one. Um, I missed left on the little one the first time. I adjusted. I missed left on the little one the second time through. And then I adjusted again. I missed right on the little one the third time through. And then I finally got it the fourth time through. So that, that little one beat me up pretty good. Mm-hmm. But and, and you shot that on day two, though, correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so it's a whole different ballgame. When we shot it, it was, I mean, I, I don't know. I might have held edge on the small one. But I, you know, I did late play. So we started day one, and and I, everyone that was there knows how big of a difference it was from day one to day two. Yeah, conditions not exactly the same between both days for sure. But I think everybody, no. you know, got probably got through a couple of stages, um, you know, with easy weather, and probably hit you know a bunch of stages that didn't have easy weather. So I mean, it just you know a little bit of luck of the draw. But I mean, everybody got had to shoot in the same conditions. So um, yeah, but. That one, Man. that one beat me up pretty good. I think I started with you know one two ish something like that, um, and I don't remember. That's at like four hundred yards or whatever the heck it was. I don't remember. So I mean, <laughs> I remember pretty good. Yeah, I remember we was. I think we was on the mover stage, um, and I remember Robert Brantley was in our squad, and I come off, I come off, and you know I was like, man, I was. Yeah, I was like one two at the mover, and the mover was yeah like three fifty or four hundred. And uh, Robert was like, "You're one two? and I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Man, if I got to hold a mill two at four hundred yards, something's wrong." <laughs> and I was like, "Man, that's what it was, you know." So he was he was pretty pretty you know it was crazy that we was holding that much. I mean, it was super windy that day and. You know, it got got a lot of people, but we made sure it was holding quite a bit of wind that day. Yeah, there were uh, there were a few stages where I was real, real close to holding more wind than it was elevation. Um, I think if the wind had been coming from the other direction, that would have happened several times. But um, it was there were some tough conditions. There's some of the toughest conditions I've ever shot in. But so um, day one ends. Where are you sitting? Man, so it was it was difficult to judge, but just by talking to everyone, uh, you know, not everyone shot the same stages, so the the scores that come out was kind of kind of skewed a little bit. Um, but talking to everyone, I want to say that I come in about third. Um, I want to say maybe Austin Bushman or Jake Vibbert was probably leading the match, and just you know, talking to our group, I was right behind them. Um, I want to say, was Vibbert down six on day one? Five or six. He was, he was burning it down. Um, I mean, he was shooting good. He was, he was on it. I mean, he just, he had a, he had a heck of a day. I think he was down. It was either five or six. Yeah. So, uh, I dropped eight on day one and I'll kind of give you a little rundown. I dropped five of them on the tower and I timed out with two of them. And so, you know, the, the tower was pretty tough, dropping five on there, and I dropped one more point. And I want to say it was down there in the bottom, like uh, past the PRS skill stage. I dropped one. It was my very first shot and uh, just didn't hold enough wind or, or was too much wind. I can't remember. But it's kind of a funny story. So I shot the truck. And uh, is the rocks right after the truck? Uh, yes. So I, I go over there and I, I take, I kind of get a game plan. I take two bags and I had uh, one of those new sand filled tater tots from Weebad. Yep. 
and I had looked the rocks over and I was going to go prone, modified prone on all of my positions except for the last one. So I took two bags and when the guy said go, I tossed my tater tot over to the rock that I was going to use it on for positional. Mm-hmm. So I'm hammering through all my positions and I'm clean. I get to that last position and I drop. I, I like to use a game changer for rear bags, just what I'm comfortable with. And so I, I drop my game changer and I look over to the side and my tater tot is not there. And so like hindsight, I should have just picked my game changer up and plopped it down on that rock and, you know, just went on about my business and I probably could have got one more shot off. I was real tight on time right there towards the end. I really feel like I could have got one, but I spent so much time looking for that tater tot. And I'd like looked up the RO and I was like, man, where'd my bag go? And, uh, man, I'm, I'm not mad at him at all. He, he thinks I was mad at him, but you know, it just is what it is. It wasn't no big deal. But, uh, John Wells had picked my bag up during the stage while I was shooting. He just thought someone left it there, but I'd purposely tossed it over there to that position. And so I dropped two shots right there, you know, timing out, just looking for my bag. That's that Texas it, shooter it, it sabotage was, right there. You, you can't trust was, Texas. Man, it, was, it was my second stage of day one. I was like, come <laughs> on, man. This is, is this really how it's going to be? So, but it was funny. It was funny. I laughed it off. I said, man, don't worry about it. It, it is what it is. So uh, the next stage was a tower. Uh, dropped five on that. Uh, man, I went. I went clean on the first two targets. I dropped my first shot on three, uh, corrected, got my, got my, got second hit on target three. And then, man, I just could not find it on the last two targets. Um, just couldn't, couldn't pick it up, which, you know, you're shooting, there is burns there, but you're shooting over the top of them if you miss. And I just wasn't, wasn't seeing it good. And then went on the rest of the day cleaning everything else and i want to say it was the uh the slanted h brace right past the prs skill stage i dropped my very first shot at the just yeah just holding too much wind or something like that and then like i said wound up eight down for the day so i mean um, take out the tower man, had, a, had a heck of a day and, it, and the tower was obviously probably the hardest stage out there and i'd say five was probably pretty average for that stage regardless of when it is. People I was, got to shoot you know, it. I, I want to say it was me, Brantley, uh, Brandon Hembry, and Mike Keenan was laid up there, you know, side by side. They, was, they took about four up to the top of the tower at a time. And, I mean, we were we were all almost identical. Uh, you know, we all shot, you know, fives and fours. I don't think anyone in our stage really burned that one down. But man, I was just feeling it that day. I was, I was really focused, uh, making micro adjustments the, the full time. Um, I would say I've seen probably high 90% of, of all my shots. Um, I could tell you exactly where I was on plate. And that was a big thing that I took from JTAC. Um, man, I, I really learned like what to look for and, and how to, how to focus. I'd, I'd been getting towards the end of the year, maybe, maybe midway through the year. And I was really cranking my, uh, magnification up. And, uh, I know that's one thing that you kind of showed me at the JTAC class. And, uh, I started dialing it back down a little bit, watching, watching trace. And, and I just got to where I was really focusing on where that bullet was hitting that on plate. And 
man, I was just in the zone. Like I, I just, every call I made was the right one. And I just, I'd feel it. Like I'd, I'd feel a gust of wind on my face and I'd hold a little bit more wind and I'd feel it let off and I'd come off of it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait till I missed plate to make those adjustments. I was making them before I even pulled the shot. I think that's big. A lot of people have a lot of struggle with seeing where they hit plates. That's something that we that we go through a lot. And I think we touched on it earlier on this episode. It was so long ago, I can't really remember. But from from teaching these classes, almost everybody is wrong ninety nine percent of the yeah. time on on where the plate hits, and um, it's something that we spend a lot of time on. And if you can't tell, where yeah, you're I remember you. You got me um, a couple of times in that class and it really showed me like, hey, uh, you know, what I'm seeing is not correct. And after that class, I really went home and I spent about 50 rounds just practicing. I'm not going to go over the drill that, that you taught me because, you know, if you take the JTAC class, you'll learn it. But um, I appreciate man, that. <laughs> I, I, went, I went home and I, I ain't kidding you. I loaded up 50 rounds and that's all I did was practice that drill. And man, it just, it sharpened me up and man, I, I really feel like without taking that JTAC class, I wouldn't have had the finish that I had at the finale. I, I learned some really critical things. Obviously I, I knew coming in, into the JTAC class that I wasn't going to take away from it as much as like a beginner shooter would because I was pretty advanced anyways, but I took away the things that I needed to learn. So, I mean, you're right. You were obviously advanced coming into the class, and uh, you were going to get a different experience. There's just probably a few things that you're looking forward to, to get you over the top. Um, but just like you said, you know, something that me and you worked on at that class, you don't know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. there are people that have been shooting for six months, six years, whatever it happens to be, that there are things that we just approach differently and, and can make a, a big difference in a pretty short period of time. But um, I'm just glad you were able to, I mean, there have been very few times I've been happier for somebody than than whenever we saw, did the math and saw that you were going to walk away with the bullet. I mean, that's just as cool as it gets being your first year and and finishing the top 10. That's that's everybody's goal is to get one of those bullets. And and you did it your first year. You probably made a bunch of enemies doing it that way. Um, But uh, man, I couldn't have been more proud. It was just, it was super cool. You probably still haven't wiped that smile off your face. No, man, I'm actually looking at that bullet right now. It's, uh, <laughs> man, it it was cool, man. I put in a lot of work that year. And, um, man, you know, you know I mean, everyone that's been there, it's a lot of sacrifice. So I've got, you know, a wife and two little girls at the home. And, and you spend spend a lot of a lot of time away chasing these matches. And, and it's a lot of, a lot of financial dedication. Um, so, man, it was it was pretty surreal. Like I've always, I kind of get, and, and I've struggled with this a little bit. Like I almost get a little bit starstruck, um, because man, y'all, like you guys are my idols and to, to have my name kind of posted up there with y'all is man, it's just cool. And, and I kind of, you know, earlier on in the year, you know, a little bit of like self-confidence issue. Um, just, I, it's just crazy to me that like, I'm, like I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm knocking on y'all's back door now. And it just kind of, just kind of surreal, you know, but man, it, it was a cool feeling. Um, really was 
I knew I knew when the match was over, kind of where I stood at. I, I finished the PRS finale in fourth place, and you That's know, you you and you and yeah, man, it was cool. It was cool. So you know, the, the most packed field of shooters I've ever been in, and to you know, in in those conditions too. So like you know, I hit a little bit on day two. Um, man, the first stage on day two was a tire stage down near the bottom, right before you start to make the climb up the hill. And I laid down, this modified prone, lay down. I can see the big target clear as day. And the little target, I could not see. The bank was all splashed out, and a few shooters had went before me. That little target was just black, and it blended right in with the, with the berm but I could see the T post. So I just, I kind of just went right up the bottom of the T post and held where I thought the target was. Just kind so of where the T post of, disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'd come up maybe like a 10th or two from, from where the T post disappeared and just thought, man, that's got to be close to the center of the target. And it, and it worked. I, I wound up, I think maybe dropping one or uh, cleaning that stage. But I, I knew it was going to be a grind. Um, I was really feeling it that day, too. I was super focused. Um, still, you know, carrying on from day one, making those little micro adjustments and staying in, staying in the center of the plate. Um, done pretty good all morning long. And, uh, man, it was, it was cold. We was all bundled up. And I remember this stage. I wish I could have this stage back. And uh, <clears throat> I would have. I would have told the RO to like back his truck up. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the zone, I'm feeling it. And I get to the circle troop line and man, I don't know how the points fell, but I I probably would have finished the, you know, another, another spot or two higher. I dang sure wouldn't have beat Brousseau though. He killed it, man. He Um, he crushed everyone. He hurt everybody's feelings out there. Yeah, Um, man, that dude, I I mean, he's good. I was talking to him at down in Reveille Peak. Uh, after Justin's fall match, and uh, he was talking about where he was wanting to sit going into uh, into the finale, and I won't say exactly what he said. It was it was pretty good what he said, but uh, um, he told me what his score was. I was like, "What do you, didn't you get this and this at the at Justin's?" He's like, "No, you know, you beat me so bad. This is however many points I got." I think he must have took take, taken that personally because he turned around and put the same whooping on me. Yeah, yeah, he burned sure. it down out so- there. Man, I I shot good all day, day two, except for one stage. It was a circle troop line. Um, and man, I, I was I was feeling it. The wind was starting to kinda it would pick up pretty good and then it would let off. Um and the snow had quit falling right there at that stage, so I didn't have anything to really go off of. I probably should have been paying a little bit more attention to the vegetation out there, but um, man, I, I took a step back away from all the vehicles and, you know, they, everyone had like a tent set up, you know, a little, you know, kind of get in out of the weather. And I kind of, you know, got a good game plan and laid down. I sent the first one and it was nothing. And you shooting into the grass, pretty tall grass right there. So it was hard to see. And, uh, man, sent the second one, nothing. I went to the target two. And I believe I got both my hits on two and then one more on three and then couldn't find it again at all. But, um, man, when I come off the line, they said, they said I was missing everything way right. And what had happened was the, the wind had just come, you know, come up pretty strong as soon as I laid down. 
and I had so much clothes on and then the, the tent was right there and the RO had parked his truck right there beside where we laid down. I just couldn't feel the wind pick up on my face like I had been, you know, all morning long and then all, all on day one. I just couldn't feel the, the pickup. And I've been paying attention to the snow all day long. And then the snow was a good indicator of like, you know, how, how fast that wind was coming across there. And I just kind of, just a bad, bad go at it when I laid down, but it is what it is. Um, I didn't let it bother me. You know, I was like, man, that's, that's a tough stage anyways. I wind up dropping seven on that one, but man, I just shook it right off. I think I went on to clean the next one and then, you know, dropped one or two, you know, I had like three stages left after that. And I think I dropped one or two after that finished out the rest of the day strong. Man, to drop seven on a stage and still finish where you do, that's, that's pretty wild. Um, you must've really, <laughs> really crushed man, I, everything it, else. It, it crushed me for about two seconds. And I was like, man, it's not over with, you know, this is, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough stage, whether you get the wind right or not. And, uh, I, you know, it hurt my feelings. It really did. Cause I was shooting good and I just, you know, about two seconds of, of kind of internally crying a little bit. <laughs> and I just, I was like, man, I sucked it up. And I was like, all right, let's, let's regain focus. And let's, I got, I had three stages left after that, I believe. And, and I just, I kept grinding. So, um, you know, finished the match fourth, uh, jumped all the way from, you said mid forties to, to 10th place, which, which may be the biggest finale jump, um, that I've seen it, it'd be real close, um, to, to being the biggest jump, if not the biggest, but, um, so finishing top 10 for the year, got you your bullet. Um, what, uh, what are your goals for, for this coming year? Man. So, uh, um, it's pretty hard to, you know, Austin won all that money at the AG cup kind of makes me want to go try to get some of it myself. So, that's my goals for 2021 is to, uh, man, get an AG series, um, shoot some of them and then man, make a run at the golden bullet. Um, now that I got a, got a black one in 10th place, uh, I think a golden one would look right, you know, pretty good right up there beside it. So that's kind of my goal is to, you know, come into the finale a little bit higher. Um, I think the finale is going to be in a place this year that, really you know suits our style of shooting we're we're more field you know field type you know that that rough terrain that tricky wind is kind of what plays into our pocket a lot of times and so i'm pretty excited about that and then uh excited to i shot two ag cups this last year um could have made the ag you know ag cup this year um i just didn't buy into the series i kind of didn't want to get myself you know too stretched out being my first year in the PRS and I was still shooting in our, I shot NRL as well this last year. So I kind of split my time up and, and that's tough too. You know, I had, I had three matches this last year that was NRLs. Um, so chasing both leagues was, was kind of tough on me, but this, this next year I'm going to, I'm going to really dial in and focus on that AG series. It's tough to, to chase them both at the same time. Um, <clears throat> my goal at the beginning of the year was to to win the golden bull again uh and to win the nrl uh austin won it um obviously so that one's out so now i gotta get after the nrl but uh um <clears throat> you got your your matches planned out um 
going to be going, you know, for the AG Cup this year, Golden Bullet. Um, so pre and post, um, taking the JTAC class, what's one thing that you'd say to somebody considering coming to the class? Um, man, this, I, I think it'd be super beneficial, especially to someone, you know, just starting out, man, the, the time that it's going to save you to, to get to that level, you know, so some people are pretty, pretty natural at, you know, just being good, good right off the bat. But, uh, man, I, you know, I've shot, you know, been shooting last year. I done, I done, you know, NRL done the two days. This was my first year in the PRS and, you know, I've shot a bunch of club matches in between and I would, couldn't tell you how many rounds I've shot you know, to get to that level, um, but man, what you'd learn in one weekend there is, you know, unreal. I would say a year and a half of shooting the two years of shooting, um, trying to figure it out on your own, you would learn that in one weekend. Um, man, it's, I think it's, it's one of them deals that, you know, if, if it's a financial deal, I would I would rather see a guy not go to you know one or two matches, put that money back that you was going to use to travel to one or two matches, and and go to a JTAC class, and you would be way better off. I promise you. I think you kind of hit it on the head there. You you said that you'd looked at going to MPA to try and improve your score, and you might have gone and won that match. You might have you know might not have improved your score. Who knows. Um, but let's just say that you, you know, you did win that match and you came into the finale with a higher position. Um, you may or may not have finished in in the same spot, but uh, that class you took is going to apply to every single match from here on out. Whereas going to that other match would have just applied to just just the one. So um, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. Yeah, yeah. That's man. I I took away I took away the the critical things that I I needed to need to learn i'm i'm ready to keep working on it and uh and continue like i said i've still not got that two-day match win but uh it's coming man i just i i keep i keep inching closer and closer to it and man it's work like i've i've always you know kind of told everyone i'm not i'm not super talented at at anything but man i'll work hard um once i get something set in my mind man i'll i'll do whatever it takes to get to that and Man, I just I love shooting. Man, I I love going to the matches. I love hanging out with the guys. And man, I you know that's one thing at at JTAC is you'll learn what you need to work on. So you know that's what you know, like I like I said I, I come home loaded up fifty rounds and that's a, I just spent fifty rounds on that one drill and really hammered it in and and you know it it showed at the it showed at the finale learned how to like I was kind of struggling mentally and I don't know you know mental is like one of them funny things that it's so like individual on what makes you focus and tick and I I thought there was like a magic kind of deal that each one of y'all just figured out and done how to stay focused in a match and it's it's not really that way you just got to figure out you know, what works for you to make you stay focused over a two day period. And I can't really nail down what it was that happened that weekend, but something happened that weekend. And I, 
I finally figured out like how to get in that frame of mind and how to stay focused over two days and not make those mental mistakes that essentially cost you winning a two-day match. I think that's probably one of the things that that we pride ourselves on the most is, is staying focused. But as far as, you know, getting people to that point in the class, everyone always asks, you know, what are we going to go over in the class? What are we going to do in the class? And we have a, a course outline of what we're going to do, but we try to make sure that we tailor it to each individual person. Um, like you said, me and you sat down there and, and worked on just this, this one, one thing for a while. Um, I don't remember how many times you shot that one troop line that we were working on it, but, uh, you know, we, we try to make sure that we do that for everybody, make sure that everybody gets out of that class exactly what they want to get out of it. So we can give you a course outline, but we're going to find what each person needs to work on the most and, and get them there. So, um, yeah. and, and y'all are able to do that with the four of you. Yeah, with the four of us, we just, I mean, we got a lot of, yeah, you got, you, you know, you got the best guys in the, in the business doing it. And, uh, Man, you get a you get a lot, a lot of one on one time. Well, um, you obviously took advantage of everything you you got from that class, and um, I'm excited to see what you do this year. I think you're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. Um, if anybody didn't know who you were <laughs> already, they're going to know real quick. But um, I appreciate you coming back on here with me, letting us knock out this episode. Um, good luck to you this coming year, and um, I'm sure I'll be riding to some matches with you, and we'll we'll see what we can get done. No, yeah, man, we'll be we'll be traveling some matches. I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to uh, man, all the guys that's kind of helped me along along the way this year, and you know, Tate got me started. Um, him and Wade and Robbins have been really good to me at Impact. Um, John, Kyle, and Amy with Foundation Stocks, man, they they've been super good, super cool people. They actually live just right down the road from me, so that's been pretty handy. Me and John Kyle do do a bunch of shooting together. Um, Joe Walls this year has brought me on with Exodus. He started the chamber in my barrels and man, they, they just been hammering. They've been, you know, super confident in, in my gun this year. And, uh, he's been helping me out with that. And then some components there at OTM tactical. Um, if you need anything supply wise, hit him up over there and man, I'll, uh, I'll see you down the road at the next match, buddy. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. See you.